You're beloved by the people in relation to Palestine. My grandfather was born in Nazareth, left in 48. I always kind of had this feeling of being on the move and not quite knowing where I'm from. Such painful formation footage of night raids, settler violence in the streets, illegal settlements, burning of trees. It just opened my eyes to what was actually going on and hidden for so many years. Not just a physical war, an information war and a psychological war. People are fighting for freedom within their homeland. How are they the aggressor? The U.S. involvement and our aid to Israel is about U.S. global domination and protection of capitalist interests. Not everyone's going to like it when you talk about politics, when you're in the entertainment business. I don't consider myself an entertainer. I'm a human being. People want to make it about a war between Arabs and Jews. And I think this is the greatest crime. I think it's all the murder, personally, but... People fighting for justice and peace and people fighting to achieve and defend a supremacy. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you've accused anybody of blood libel recently. Get it? Blood libel because of the vampire diaries? <laughs> I got it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I actually didn't. But, you know, that's is... why I had to explain the joke, because I knew you <laughs> didn't is... get it. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional one to two podcasts per week, including our latest podcast, the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash palestine. A few months ago, we asked our listeners who they wanted to see on the podcast. And one name that kept coming up over and over and over was Michael Malarkey. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I was shocked too. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Yeah, you're beloved by the people. (laughs) You are. And you're beloved by the people in relation to... The subject of Palestine. So maybe let's start there. You have family from Palestine originally. Would you tell us a little bit about about your background? Yeah, my grandfather was born in Nazareth, in Palestine. Yes. But it's it's a bit of a long, crazy story. How does it start? Let's see. Uh, well, my great great grandfather was from Iran, and uh, he was actually a martyr. And his son was an orphan. And my family basically is, is uh, are, are Baha'is. And oh, wow. um, I'm not religious myself, but it helps to show the backdrop of, of all of this. And so early on when he was young, my great-grandfather my great was sent to live in Haifa. And so he, he basically grew up in, in the home of Abdul Baha, who is the son of, of the prophet of the faith. So he was very loved and uh, so devoted his life to that cause. Your mother is British and Palestinian? So she, she's based, my, my 
grandfather, yeah, so he was he was born in Nazareth, but his wife is Italian Maltese, but born in Alexandria, Egypt. So okay. I have this just crazy mongrel background. I mean, even one of my records I call hence it the name mongrels. of the album, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've always kind of had this this feeling of being on the move and not quite knowing where I'm from. You know, there's a kind of rootlessness that I've always had. And for a long time, it was, I felt a hard thing, a hindrance. But now it's become an asset. And I feel like part of my, my power, if you will, you know, being able to step back from things and see them for what they are, which in a way is kind of what's led me here, you know, to, to all of these conversations and my research on all of this stuff. But yeah, my, my grandfather left in 48. He ended up moving to uh, Egypt. And from then on, he traveled around and did a lot of teaching and ended up in Lebanon, which is where I was born, in, in Beirut. And suppose growing up in Ohio, because my dad is Irish-American, and he had his connections there, managed to get a job at Antioch University. And so by fluke, I suppose, and... I suppose a little luck. I ended up growing up there. But, you know, I, I always felt, I don't want to say ashamed, but kind of, of my, my Arab roots, you know, growing up in that environment and partially has to do with me being super shy. And uh, at that time, I was painfully shy and uh, wanted to fit in. So you assimilate and you want to adopt whatever the, the norm is, I suppose. And I, I guess for the longest time, I, I just didn't look into it, didn't value it. And that all really started to change last year since, you know, what, what happened in May 2021 just really made me do a deep dive into the whole situation and, and the history. And I'll, I'll give another backdrop to that. You know, I'm an avid music nut and I'm obsessed with discovering new music. I worked in a record store for many years and... I always like knowing about bands and groups that other people don't know about so I can share them. And I, uh, you know, over the past decade or so, I've started dipping my toe in international music and really becoming obsessed with finding out bands and, and groups from, from other places. And I had recently started to kind of get into Middle Eastern stuff and found this group, DAM, you know, the Palestinian hip hop group. And, uh, right. That was one of my first forays into exploring the Palestinian music scene, which seems to be really kind of thriving at the moment. There's a lot of exciting things happening. You know, there's the Palestine Expo that's happening later this year, and there's a lot of really grassroots support for each other in that music scene. And I actually had a, a couple Palestinian artists open for me on my tour for my London and, and Berlin shows. And that was cool, making those connections. And uh, I hope to do more of that. I feel like that's maybe something that I can do because, you know, all this stuff, it's, it's such painful history and information that's, that's, that's happening. And um, it's easy to get angry and uh, upset and uh, you just want people to know this stuff. And I feel like sometimes me just blasting this stuff out on social media is in a vacuum sometimes, you know, and I'm sure that's something worth talking about, you know, I, the, the use of social media and how it's helping or hindering and when it's helping and when it's hindering. Anyway, I kind of started getting into Palestinian music and the whole thing escalated 
to what we what I now know as a very predictable escalation. I just went nuts with the research. You know, I started reading like uh, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, the Hundred Years' War on Palestine, Edward yes. Said's writings. Um, I found Abby Martin's work with the Empire Files, and she's yes. done some extensive research on the ground out there, which which really connected with me and her really blunt approach to it all. And so by connecting with with Dam, you know, we're, we're actually connected now. And I have other people there that I've been connected with because I feel like you, you really need to hear it from the horse's mouth. Excuse the expression, but <laughs> you, you need to know what the, the actual people are thinking and feeling instead of making a judgment without, without doing that, right? And so I, I quickly became exposed to their live streams, footage of night raids, which were deeply uh, affecting, and settler violence in the streets and in the West Bank with the illegal settlements, burning of trees and all that stuff. And it just like opened my eyes to what was actually going on and hidden for, for so many years. Control of the narrative for so long, that's really done a, a great disservice to, to the people out there. It's not just a physical war, you know, it's an information war and a psychological war, stripping of identity, even going as far as saying you don't even have an identity, it's a fabricated one, you know, which is crazy. But yeah, they, I mean, I, I, yeah, I could, I could go further with that, but I'll, I'll let you uh, carry on with your trajectory. You Honestly, I was just going to let you keep going until <laughs> yeah, me too, right? <laughs> the end of time, I think. <laughs> you you have a very soothing voice. <laughs> yeah, I'm dude. Sure people thanks, have told thanks. you that. It's like I was, ASMR. I was just like... <laughs> I was listening. I forgot I was on the podcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I mean, the, the thing is, in, you got to break it down to what it actually is. And yes. uh, I think there's a lot of people want to make it about a war between Arabs and Jews. And I think this is the, the greatest crime, you know, because it's not about that. It's about people fighting for justice and peace. I think it's all the murder personally, but yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Well, you know, <laughs> there's that, yeah. People fighting for justice and peace and people fighting to achieve and defend a supremacy. But more importantly, like the, the function of, especially U.S. involvement and in our aid to Israel is all about U.S. global domination and protection of capitalist interests. And I think once you start going down that line, you can look at it without getting involved in that bullshit Arab versus Jew thing. Because, yes. I mean, you look at history, it's all about imperialist domination. I'm about to give you an amen. So, yeah. <laughs> how am I really feeling this? I, I didn't sign up for church today, but here I am. Yes. But we have this thing where we're saying we're bringing democracy to these countries. Yeah. And like, once you know all this stuff and you look at the history, it's just, it's so laughable. The state sponsored terrorism that we are responsible for, you know, is, is that's, that's what we need to be looking at. And uh, the hypocrisy of the people in office that are virtue signaling about this stuff when at the end of the day, it's as we know, people who know this shit, it's two wings of the same dove. You know, it's not a, it's not a fucking dove either. It's a buzzard, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard because the, you, you, this, this stuff's dangerous. It's dangerous information, you know, and it's, it's very sad, saddening information and enrages you. And, uh, what can you do when it's, it's, it's such a, a powerful thing you're actually up against because it's not even really about Israel. You know, like I said, it's, it's about, imperialist and capitalist tendencies to 
plant their strongholds in different regions and just dominate, you know? Yeah. To extract resources, to steal from communities, to accumulate wealth at the very top and influence policy all over the world and also influence people's minds, right? Yes. To, To... purchase media companies outright or buy them through advertising and then disseminate a message that convinces people that villagers with stones are the ones oppressing a nuclear power. It's outrageous. It's, it's completely outrageous. And you have, you know, you, how can you call someone a terrorist when they're on their own land? I mean, that is a, that is a bottom line for me. It's, it's crazy. They're fighting for, people are fighting for freedom within their homeland like how are they the aggressor how can uh, you call someone a terrorist when you're a colonial government sitting on stolen land that's right because uh you know it's what it is it's a settler colonial project that's backed by the greatest powers in the earth starting starting with france and britain in the balfour era and then moving on to the u.s and, and soviet union you know and it was all about shopping around and getting support and and money to be able to continue the project. Yeah. Well, I think we're starting to see why you were such a highly requested guest. Yeah, <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> well, the man's I, just went off. The people in power are going to decide when violence is acceptable and legal. Yeah. And that's something we've, we've always got to remember, you know, and that, that's something that the majority of the population is so wrapped up in the propaganda of that, you know, is it legal or illegal? According to who? Right. You know, you know, and uh, I mean, the thing is, we we have a situation where we have nonviolent options, right? We have BDS. But when it's cracked down on, when you can't actually have a nonviolent option, what are you supposed to do? Just slide out and take it and, and say, all right, fine, annihilate us and, and drive us out. That is what the Zionists would prefer, it seems. Yeah. They're pretty upset anytime Palestinians do anything else. Yeah, well, the like whole game plan has, has been breathe. to to create a, 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 a psychological barrier against resistance mm-hmm. so that you give up. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's even said in all the early documents of the Zionist mm-hmm. pioneers, you know, is what they're trying to, trying to create. That speaks to what you were talking about earlier, where sometimes it just feels like it's all in a void or you're screaming into like the vacuum, whatever. You know, I mean, I understand the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. That's something that they manufacture, right? They manufacture that feeling so that we give up, so that we stop talking about it, so that we, you know, our accounts get deleted, we go quiet, that type. They want to scare us. They want to intimidate us into silence because they're so weak. Because you're right, because it is an informational war zone as well, right? And the internet is one of the greatest equalizers because we're now able to see exactly what's going on. We don't have to rely on the BBC to inform us. We don't have to rely on, you know, Israeli, like, talking heads to to portray a situation. We're looking at Jacob the Settler steal the house from Muna el Kurd. It's created a situation where you can't, ignore it anymore or if you want to you know you have to blatantly lie now yeah well i mean in the words of the greatest greatest journalist arguably of all time assange and i'm going to paraphrase it but censorship it, it means fear you know and the, the 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 reason behind it is fear of exposing the narrative 
you know yeah the whole occupation is held up by violin strings like everybody thinks it's a super well-tuned operation but i'm starting to see it unravel on the daily well we have something now that we didn't before that social media so we're able to get these first-hand accounts and uh, before you you had to almost be an intellectual and interested and curious to be able to get this information you know and now if you have people who are very offering it to you you're able to if you click the right button get that stuff and that's kind of a good segue into like your own social media presence because you have a large platform you don't necessarily have to talk about palestine but like the fact that you do it brings you like it it warms the hearts of so many people who see a person in your position talking about this situation. Why is it so important for you to be so outspoken? I haven't even thought about it, but it comes from the gut and the heart. You know, it's like an impulse where it's like, you know, when when you know certain things and you feel like it's wrong and you feel like the majority of people aren't talking about it, it just feels backwards to me. But, you know, also Harrods did. The, the, I don't know. My, to be honest, my grandfather would probably be pissed off that I was bringing this stuff up and getting him, and getting involved, you know, because he's been through it and he knows what's at stake and, and all yeah. that. But to me, it's uh, I just had to. And once I once I kind of started talking about it, I felt like I was because also you know my fan base is it's completely international. It's it's bizarre. I have these like pockets like in almost every country of the world. I just feel like look. Not everyone's going to be open and not everyone's going to like it when you talk about politics, when you're in the entertainment business. But I mean, that's, I don't consider myself an entertainer. I'm a human being, right? I'm a human first. And uh, that takes precedence over everything. I feel like talking about these things is, is accessing that, that need to, to be a human, um, you know, because it's an inhuman business in a way. I love acting and I love the arts, but I don't like the acting business, you know? Mm. I don't consider myself an actor. I consider myself an artist, I suppose. And uh, art has always, it's funny because people say like, you know, you're an entertainer, stick to entertaining. <laughs> but you know, art and music has always been viciously vocal about uh, politics. You know? People so would be like, I preferred Rage Against the Machine oh, when they yeah. weren't political. Yeah, yeah. When was that? Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned this notion of speaking to the void. And I'm curious because you also said that you were inspired to speak up last year for sort of the first time, really, Mm. making these beliefs public. So is it possible that because, you know, the people following you didn't necessarily expect this, that it really was an exercise in education more so than just preaching to the choir or speaking to a void. I mean, I'm curious about the response that you got from people. And I would be surprised if you didn't say that, you know, you got hundreds of messages from people being like, oh my God, I had no idea. Thank you so much. Totally. I mean, yeah. I got all sides of the spectrum of responses about it, as you can imagine. Oh, I bet. <laughs> hateful, hateful stuff. But there was there was a, a, a large number of people, yeah, that basically were gobsmacked at the stuff that I was yeah. I was talking about. I'd never heard about it. And for me, that makes it worth it. 
you know right. i mean if if even like one person or two people are are responding to this and the thing is i have a big young audience too and i believe in the younger generation it was a younger generation that was behind the anti-war stuff in vietnam and and you can look back at other other movements but it's the young that are able to connect, that have the resources, that have the brain power, and they have their whole future ahead of them. They don't have kids, you know? Yeah, they've also got the energy. Like, I'm yeah. in my 30s, and I'm already, like, ready to pass the baton. It is about passing the baton, you know? And and I always, I always say, don't take my word for it, right? You know, like, look for yourself. I'll, I'll provide the, the resources. I'll give my opinion. But, like, like with anything, and my... What I despise about celebrity in general is you have people who just hang on to every word and just go, he said this, and it's like, oh, no, no, think for yourself. You know, mm. I'm just a human being. I have a brain and a heart, so do you. Use them. And what I hope, I suppose, is that me speaking out and other people who are in the public eye speaking out will create more normalization of this conversation. People will start to hold their leaders accountable for hypocrisy, oftentimes, and their virtue signaling, you know. We have this problem all across the world of, of getting someone in office and sitting back and relaxing. It's the same thing that happened after the Bush era. You know, yes. we voted yes, Obama absolutely. in the office and everybody absolutely. just kicked their feet up on their desks and sat back and watched the drones go hit Pakistan, like, as if it was nothing. Meanwhile, when, when Bush was in power, we were you know, marching in the streets, anti-war rallies, bring the troops home, you know, and Obama shows up and the war in Afghan on Afghanistan is still happening. The war on Iraq is still happening. Things are getting worse. Guantanamo yeah. did not close down despite mm. what he had said, you know, despite his promises. And there was this complacency. People were fine with it because Obama looked cool, talked cool and, you know, uh, well, there's the kind of policy wasn't different, right? That's right. You know, and the, the thing is, they say, I don't know who said it, but that the Democratic Party is where revolution dies, you know, which I thought <laughs> was was very interesting and kind of true. And identity politics is like cute and all, but we just saw Kamala Harris wish Israel like, <laughs> you know, know uh, like know. best wishes while bombing Gaza, like literally doesn't matter that she's a girl boss who continues to support occupation. I wasn't surprised at that, although it made me go, Bull. <laughs> it was so gross. The messaging you know? was like straight out of the 1990s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, but, you know, th this is where part of me is like, I don't have faith in the governments to turn this around because of how deeply entrenched our interests yeah, are out there. So I suppose this expectation of, you know, call your reps and do that, you know, a part of me is like, yeah, but there's a part of me that's like, I ain't going to work. No, the the real solution is shut it down, right? Like what Palestine yeah. Action is doing. Absolutely. I was just going to say that. Elbit yeah. Systems, direct action, organizing yeah. in your communities. You know what I mean? Like from the ground up, it's never going to be like, oh, we got to vote. So liberals are still sore from patting themselves on the back. We are never going to get anything substantial out of electoral politics. It's why I've completely stopped donating, stopped getting involved. Like I'm not, can I, I used to canvas. I used to run city council campaigns and just right. like never again, you know, it's, it's straight up mutual aid and bail funds for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's amazing stuff going on.
You yeah, know, absolutely. That goes. And the thing is, it's not obviously publicized. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, it's, the thing is, it's, it's about the good of the community. I mean, we're in this era of, and I don't know, we've been in this, in it for a long time about self-care and getting rid of toxic people and whatever. And, but there's no emphasis on the community anymore. And, but there is in these ways you're talking about mutual aid, et cetera. That gives me hope when I see those things happening, but I do have to reach for it to find them. Yeah, I mean, we live in these little isolated bubbles, more so now than ever. You believe that that's, that was a response to the whole Cold War uh, issues of mistrust of the neighbor, you know, and everyone building their own shelters and things like that. And we got pushed out into these suburban pockets and everybody had their own manicured yards and we're looking at what their neighbors were doing. And we've just gotten into this real, everybody's pointing the finger at their neighbor as opposed to above, right? And if we know anything, or if, if we know anything, it's, it's the ruling class versus us in a way, you know, and we, we resist calling them out for fear of us being called out. I suppose this is gagging order of, of non-binary politics that we're living in right now. You can't criticize Israel without being called an anti-Semite. You can't criticize NATO without being called a Russian sympathizer, et cetera, et cetera. You, there's no nuance to it anymore. And it's like trial by social media. I'm hoping that somehow we're going to get out of that because what we can gain from social media and community is an incredible amount of power if we're able to dialogue. And if we're able to kind of come together and ask the difficult questions and the question why is something that we refuse to be able to ask and answer. I mean, it's like it's, you talk about 9-11, for instance, right? It's almost treasonous to ask why they did that or even to kind of go into the inner workings of why that might have happened and our responsibility in that. The same thing with like, why did they throw the rockets, you know, from Gaza? What? why aren't people asking that you know yeah why do they throw rocks and why aren't there more professional pitchers <laughs> i'm curious michael did you get any phone calls or texts hey what are you doing when you started posting yeah did your this manager be- <laughs> anybody reach out to you and be like hey not good for we like money you know stuff like that but you don't have to don't have to name drop it. in particular <laughs> in, uh, although we love it when the tea is piping hot on the Palestine i actually uh, no i didn't uh, I, I don't know maybe i'm immune i don't know <laughs> but no I, I actually contacted them and just wanted oh. to clarify just like look this is my position on this it's something i care about i felt like because of how this issue is it was important for me to to at least be the take the first step on that yeah you preempted it yeah like look don't worry you know whatever you know we'll def- defend that yeah i mean who knows behind closed doors that's the thing it's like maybe maybe it's making me an unsavory choice for for certain <laughs> certain jobs but, uh, well i know i've personally lost out on stuff like i've been unbooked from a comedy show because somebody found out that i'm in support of palestine well yeah I mean, it turns out the comedy show was trash, so I'm not mad about it. Well, I was on a podcast with Loki, who you probably know. Yes, and, uh, big we fan. Talking, we were talking about the initial immigrants, the initial Arab immigrants into the United States were, were, were told to put 
Caucasian to told to put white on on the, the form. You can pass. You could be an honorary white, and uh, that says a lot. And also, I think also for the 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 shame that I think a lot of Arabs, especially American Arabs who aren't connected to their roots, may feel because of that, because it stems from all the way back then. Yeah, they were like, you're white, Muhammad? Yeah, let's change it up. <laughs> Matt. Yeah. Go by Mo. How about Mo? Mo. <laughs> this was debated before the courts, like in the early 1900s whether Arab Americans, well, whether Arabs were white or whether they were to be included as a part of the quote unquote yellow race. Mm. And if they were to be included in the latter, then they would be uh, excluded from the privileges of US citizenship. And so you actually had cases where Arab immigrants are sitting here arguing, no, no, I'm white, look at my features and actually making the case that they're white so they could be included as American citizens and benefit wow. from, from those rights and privileges. And just in the way that Jews have, you know, cozied up to proximity to whiteness, to white supremacy, to passing as white, and ultimately being known as white, right? There's a large percentage of the U.S. Jewish population that considers themselves and is considered white. Yep, yep. But they're, you know, some, you ask them and they'd be like, no, I'm Middle Eastern. And it's like, are you? You know what I mean? Because you were born in Connecticut for like four generations <laughs> yeah there's, there's a power you get when you when you're able to at least take a step back from your identity and uh, connect to the world on a, a human level first you know because for a lot of people identity their identity comes before being human and i think that's what we're seeing out here is to have identity taking uh, the top spot over what's right on a human level yeah nationalism is scary that's actually such a great point because that's a that's a huge reason as to why a lot of jews do not speak out about palestine right their identity as a jew keeps them from the human urge to speak out to talk about justice to talk about what's right they are far more concerned about having their identity either denigrated or challenged or excommunicated from the immediate social circle than they are the real life repercussions that are happening to people on the ground in Palestine. Absolutely. And with Christian fundamentalism in, in the United States, mm -hmm. you know, you have people standing behind really horrible things that certain state governments are doing because that's my religious uh, responsibility, quote unquote. Maybe they've in some way, and what it feels like is they've somehow convinced themselves that, that that's uh, they know what's best for the rest of, of the population. I mean, my beef is when you have any, any government or group of people claiming to know what's best for everyone. Any, anything when you're putting someone's rights above another's is wrong. And including like an eth in an ethnocentric state, which is, in my opinion, destined to fail, no matter no matter who is. By is definition, part of the propaganda has been that the Zionist lobby has made it such that support for Israel is essential, is foundational to Jewish people. When the reality is is the opposite. It it's so separate from that and has nothing to do with that. And a religion which is thousands of years old has nothing to do with a state which was born less than 100 years ago and is rooted yeah. in, in a political ideology, not, not, not the faith, not, not scripture. They'll say otherwise, but we just had a rabbi on, on the program who told us that they're totally wrong about that. So, Well, also like using the Bible as a real estate deed is just very strange. <laughs> it doesn't hold water. 
you know, it's very tacky. Uh, Imagine if I invaded Disneyland and just held up Harry Potter. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, this is mine now because I'm in charge. Like, yeah, I am he. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is bizarre. It, it, it's very bizarre, but we're supposed to just accept it as as reasonable without without questioning it. And I think part of what is so important about, you know, what you're doing, what other people in the public eye are doing, obviously, Bella Hadid has been going strong on Instagram, Emma Watson came out with a with a statement in support of Palestinian rights, obviously, low key, and now the Israel lobby has gone after him trying to get his music off of Spotify. But part of what's so important about that is just deconstructing the myths upon which this house of card rests, that we're just supposed to accept the state of Israel as a Jewish state. And that is just an unconditional fact of life. Part of what a lot of times we'll hear, oh, well, you don't, you don't believe in Israel, uh, uh, you know, has the right to exist as a Jewish state. People that are trying to challenge us. It's like, well, of course I don't. They're trying to trip us up in that, but it's like, it's obvious that I don't. I don't believe that any state has a right to exist in an oppressive way. Um, And necessarily, it's going to be oppressive, right? Because the land on which the state is built is not only inhabited by Jewish people. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It was inhabited majority by um, non-Jews until they were... 90-something percent, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so those are the kind of assumptions that I think it's important to break down. And I think it's really great when people in the public eye start to make their political tendencies and human feelings known about these things because like you said it's a human issue first and foremost if it doesn't if it doesn't speak to you on a human level then you might want to check your pulse because there's some really grave injustice happening there and it's something which matters for us especially in the United States because we fund it and we are the primary funders of it and backers of it and supporters of it yeah. very and, important actually because that's yeah. often a, a gaslighting tool it's not your business. Well, it is because it's, it's literally our business. We're making a killing off a killing. And so we are responsible. So it is our business. It's also part of the, the reason why I became more outspoken when I started following the money train and seeing what we were doing out there. So it very much is our business. And, and it's also know. like US funded tax based US charities that are contributing to the displacement and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in these settlements in Sheikh Jarrah, in Mm -hmm. all over the West Bank and all over occupied Palestine. They are displacing people with the backing of U.S. dollars. And that's why it's so important that we're able to spread information about it, let people know so they too can follow the money train. They too can wake up from this slumber that people have been in. Nobody's centering (laughs) celebrities here. Obviously, these issues of censorship They're happening to organizers, Palestinian activists, people on the ground. Like we talk about that as well. But when Bella Hadid gets censored, people cover it, right? There is a larger backlash to a celebrity being censored than there is just a regular organizer. Like, yeah, like when our account gets deleted. Our account, as well as Nerdine Kiswani's account, who is a great organizer in New York City on the ground. She is like a fierce. Palestinian activist. It made a little bit of like 
a bumble. Like we got one article by the electronic right. intifada. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like when Bella Hadid gets censored, the whole fucking internet takes notice. And so it sheds light on these issues that are happening to the activists on the ground and Absolutely. in exile. And that, that, by the way, for people who are listening that don't normally listen, Electronic Intifada is a fantastic resource uh, yeah. stuff. Good, good. One of my go-tos. Is it, you it's, got it's, up to speed fast. You said you started looking into this last year. You like have all the references. Yeah, I got problems. I got problems. My man, my man's is literally citing original Zionist everything. documents. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I've read Herzl. I've read it. <laughs> I have. I mean, like, I mean, I haven't read all of it, but there, there was, there's stuff that's been made available that, yeah, you do have to look for. But yeah, um, hey, you're not missing much. Say, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. you. I've got to say, also, just the connection between the conversation about critical race theory and whitewashing of history that's that's happening out here and what's going on out there. You know, there's there's this whitewashing. It's an archaic whitewashing of history that we've all been brought up under and. Uh, I think it's no one's going to hand it to you on a plate. It's our responsibility to go to question that history, to question the narratives. I mean, I'm my son's at, at school, and some of the stuff he gets back, I'm and I'm trying to bite my tongue. You know, I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't put this bee in his bonnet just yet. Like social studies, oh, like call what, me up. yeah, yeah, where I'm like, oh god, I really want to. He's not ready. He's not ready. I want to tell him the oh, truth. I know. Um, I want to know what bee in a bonnet means. That's the most adorable shit I've ever heard. <laughs> It's a Britishism, obviously. Yeah, probably from, you know, Shakespeare or something. Are you actually putting a bee inside of the bonnet? Something that you can't help but think about. Right, right. okay. Bee in your, uh, bee in got your you. Yeah. Thanks. Learn something new today. Yeah. But yeah, there's just, I think there's a real real connection with, with the censorship that they're trying to do with that stuff here in the States and what, what has been happening with the Palestinian narrative for a long time, you know, down to burning books at the beginning of the movement and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't know what critical race theory is, but I know I don't like it and it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely also why, I mean, during the Nakba, part of the decimation of the Palestinian civilization was burning our books, our libraries, yep. obviously destroying, you know, over 500 Palestinian towns and, and villages and cities but also the history that was recorded there on that land that uh, reinforced our existence on the land as the native people of that land. That's not a mistake. That's obviously all by very precise design. And you'll see that everywhere there is oppression. It's, it's directed at the people, but also at records. Yeah, and if they couldn't destroy it or burn it, then they'll classify the documents so that they yes. can't be released for a hundred plus years. And then they'll fight them in courts if you ever try and reference them. And that type of censorship and intimidation happens in the United States too. We spoke to Rafik Abid, right? She has the book, Baba, What Does My Name Mean? And it was censored at the Free Library in Philadelphia. And it's like, you can't, you can't compete with the narrative of a children's book. You're worried. It's like you're worried about a picture book and you've got nuclear weapons. Am I right on that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, it, and that even even moving for, for, forward in like the, the bombing and, and, and uh, uh, massacres of refugee camps in, in Lebanon in the 80s and to try to exterminate any potential for this to get out. But 
there's there's a lot of us out there now you know it's there's been a lot of generations and so people remember you know there's family stories there's there's our own personal history and recollections and you're never gonna keep it all bottled in when there's crimes against humanity it's gonna get out somehow well said I just want to reference an article from 972 Magazine, which came out in 2012, entitled uh, Scores of Palestinian Books, Nakba's Lesser Known Victims. And it basically discusses how some 70,000 books were stolen from the homes of the Palestinians who were expelled during the Nakba in 1948. Some of these books are now part of the National Library of Israel. Others have been completely destroyed. Others, as Michael mentioned, are held in, you know, behind closed doors in, in, in yeah in the archives which are not made public so there's definitely something there that is that is super intentional. Looking at. yeah, yeah exactly it reveals a telling hand hey if you didn't have any shit to hide you wouldn't stuff it in an archive right yeah exactly maybe in the time we have left tell us a little bit about what's up what's coming up for you project wise what are you working on? I see you're very busy, like music wise. Does that mean that we're not really going to see you anymore on the screen or in theater and that you've kind of pivoted or is it just kind of hide what you feel like doing right now? But, you know. Well, COVID's been rough for the industry, you know, so the show I was on before got pulled. It was kind of a COVID fatality because we were all geared up to go. Project Blue Book talk about other information that's redacted or destroyed and stuff on the UFOs in the fifties. That was a whole thing. And also very much worth looking into if you're uh, susceptible to such a thing. Yeah, no, I have a project that's coming out uh, soon. I think this summer, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet because, you know, because you signed a contract. So, but yeah, no, and I, you know, I've been doing a little, some bits and pieces, but it's just been taking a while. The the engine is finally starting to take off again for the industry. But the problem is, is like everybody was out of work for so long that it just became so much more fiercely competitive than ever. But wow. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actively pursuing acting work as well. But yeah, music is what I do in the meantime, you know, so just put out a little EP called Strays. You see a theme there, mongrel strays. I'm a lost dog, but I'm cool with it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I start, I'm starting to work on my next musical thing. I um, also have been dipping back into heavy music because before I was an actor, I was a screamer in a hardcore band, believe it or not. So I got that group back together over COVID and we cut a five song EP, which will be coming out later this year. I just wanted to, you know, also as I was dipping into all this stuff, it felt super whack to to write songs about myself i just felt like i wanted to 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 speak more about i don't know fear so the record's about fear overcoming that in a way and uh also it's more layered than that obviously that's doing it a bit of a disservice but i wanted to make something for for, for the kids man you know something that's a bit more rabble rousing instead of yeah. oh sad bastard music you know which I love. And, uh, you know, Leonard Cohen is one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, so I started doing that. I'm, I'm kind of working on another project with a more uh, kind of doom metal group. So been doing some screaming again, which is which has been great. But that that one's a lot more overtly 
political and anti-imperialist. So I've been uh, doing a lot of screaming too. No music, just you know, into the into void. Your yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good in the shower, right? I hope we'll see you collaborate with some Palestinian artists in the future, whether it's musicians or or actors. You know, we have a bustling film industry as well in Palestine. Yeah, and well, uh, I'm up for it. Hit me yeah. up. No, I'm here. <laughs> Whoever's your, listening, your DM's about to be on fire, my boy. <laughs> We had a Palestinian filmmaker Farah Nabilsi on the show a while back. Uh, she won a BAFTA and she was nominated for an Oscar. And so she's former finance turned filmmaker and just hit the ground running and is doing great. So we also had oh. Tamar Nafar as well, Palestinian yeah, exactly. rapper. <laughs> yes, yes. We've we've yes. connected before. Seems like a good dude. Definitely. I'll have to check that one out. That's on the pod. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. One yeah. of the more recent episodes. But yeah, in the meantime, I'm just being dad. You know, it's a it's the hardest, most unpaid job in the world. You know, it's there's so much responsibility for that. And the thing is, amidst all this stuff, if you're not serving your family, what are you doing? All well and good to be trying to change the world, but you have to also you have to start there and in your circle and i think oftentimes people forget that people lose sight of where the real seeds germinate i think the key is to set an example live as you want others to live Um, you know i I think what all the all the world religions have in common is the golden rule do unto others as you would have done unto you and i think that's a simple baseline for how we should all live and anything that goes runs counter to that is against human nature. I think maybe I'm wrong, but because we there's we got a dark underbelly, you know. There's yin and yang, but I think you know it's our job to fight against uh, a certain part of that darkness, or at least to look at it in the eye and to understand it. And that's always been my kind of line about why my music's so depressing. By doing that, it makes me okay, right? By looking at the darkness, seeing it for what it is. And I think that correlates to politics as well. I think that's what we do here as well, right? We do alchemy. We take darkness and we turn it into light. (laughs) And it's counterbalanced to the predominant narrative, which is more sympathetic to a Zionist perspective. And so it's so important that people like yourself are speaking out and, you know, just adding to the cumulative effort of Palestinians who've been saying it for generations, Jews who have recently caught on, and celebrities who are also voicing displeasure with watching people die every day. Yeah. Well, the thing is, we have to have hope. You know, we have to believe in a better world. We have to truly believe it. You know, there's a wonderful book. This is completely off topic, but kind of not. The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible by Charles Eisenstein, which is worth a read. And it's uh, very accessible. I think we all need to at least, and I think that's why we keep going. Otherwise, why would we? Why would we in the face of all this shit? Why would we keep going? Because deep within, whether we acknowledge that feeling or not, we all believe that things can be better. And so we got to keep believing and we got to allow that hope and belief to germinate. I think that's a beautiful place to end. Yeah, we're wrapping it. We're wrapping it in germination. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so this much. Thanks for having yeah. me. This was um, so wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate you, Michael. Thank you Keep so much. Keep on doing for your the good time. work. 
Absolutely. And your energy and all of it. Hey, I'm always here. Y'all take care, okay? Thank Appreciate you. it. Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out our website, www.palestinepod.com. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. We've received some very nice emails recently, and we so appreciate you all. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod and find us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. This is the Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod.